Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. No shortage of topics today, that's for sure. We're going to talk with uh, the Renewable Fuels Association about uh, some COVID aid finally coming to the biofuels industry, $700 million. We'll look at that. And also the uh, rumor out there that the Biden administration will grant some sort of relief to the oil industry for RFS. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll get the latest on the markets with Arlen Suderman with Stone X and the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. But let's get started with the news, and there's plenty of it. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm just fine. I'm standing in the hallway of the Russell Senate Office Building just outside the Senate Ag Committee room where the uh, where Secretary Vilsack has been meeting with a group of senators uh, talking about the immigration bill. And he has pledged the administration's support uh, in trying to pass an immigration bill in the Senate. Uh, and Senator Bennett from Colorado uh, and Senator Crapo are the lead uh, people on this bill. Uh, Senator Bennett just told us that he wants help from the lobbyists and Vilsack and everybody else to try to round up 60 senators to get it passed. Any idea what that bill would look like? Well, there ha- you know, there there has been a bill passed in the House, uh, and uh, uh, you know, it would uh, it would ease the the uh, it would provide a path for uh, for current farm workers uh, to get permanent residency, and I think eventually citizenship in the United States, and create a system for bringing in more people. And I think also, uh, at least in a final form, would have to do something to make the, the H-2A visa um, application process smoother. We've gotten close on this in the past, but it kind of falls through at the end. Uh, do you think it'll get through this time? Uh, what are the Senate objections to the House bill, or, or what are the sticking points? Uh, I don't know whether uh, whether it will get through. Uh, in the past, the the uh, senators uh, have worried that it would lead to uh, uh, excessively high farm wages, while the uh, farm labor advocates, of course, say that wages do need to be higher in order to attract workers. Uh, one of the big issues now, of course, is the aging of the current workforce. Uh, and the farmers are very worried that the, that farmer that their current workers are are going to going to get too old to do that kind of work, and that they won't be able to find replacements for them. So that's kind of where we're uh, that's kind of where it's at. And yeah, so we'll watch that closely to see what happens there in the Senate. Meanwhile, Secretary Vilsack has also told uh, senators. Uh, this week that the USDA will be working on ways to significantly increase U.S. meat packing capacity, and that's a huge issue for the livestock industry. Uh, Yes, Secretary Vilsack talked about the meat capacity issue yesterday before the Senate Appropriations 
Agriculture Appropriations Subcommittee. Uh, and uh, uh, what he said was we're going to find very creative ways to do this. So that's all a mystery still. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what they, what they think they can come up with because uh, uh, building more meat plants uh, it's not a simple th- or, or quick thing to do. Uh, you have to get all this equipment. You have to get the workforce. You have to uh, figure out who's going to supply the the uh, meat to these plants and and uh, who's going to buy it. It's, it's a very uh, complex uh, complex issue, much more complex than than I would say that most things that the agriculture department is, attempts to do. And again, we get uh, broad statements, but uh, very few details, so we'll wait for those. Meanwhile, we've talked to a number of people in agriculture, Jerry, very uh, concerned about how the administration plans to make changes to the waters of the U.S. rule and what they're going to change specifically, and we're still waiting for details on that as well. What are you hearing? Uh, well, I agree that, that there is a great deal of concern in agriculture about this because a lot of the people in agriculture liked the Trump rule. Uh, uh, I, I do think they'll be more sensitive uh, to the farmer interests than, the, than EPA was in the uh, Obama administration uh, just because of the level of pressure that is, uh, that is on there. Uh, 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 but they also have a strong case, uh, particularly in the in the arid southwest, that there was going to be permitting uh, uh, that would cause a lot of uh, uh, of environmental uh, environmental problems. So the fact that they're going to re- review this rule and rewrite it is not a surprise. Yeah. So how they rewrite it, what they put in there, that's uh, that'll be the key. Again, waiting on details. Um, the rumors about some sort of relief for the oil industry, for some refineries from the uh, RFS requirements, that has a lot of people concerned as well. What are you hearing on that, Jerry? Uh, well, the, the, uh, the big, uh, big advantage that the um, oil industry has in this is that the refinery that is raising the issue is located in Delaware, President Biden's mm-hmm. home state. And so it's the it's the uh, Democratic senators from Delaware that are raising this issue. Uh, I was kind of surprised that, uh, but the Renewable Fuels Association said, "Oh, this, uh, the oil industry is always doing this kind of thing. It's not too it's not too surprising, uh, but it would be a travesty if the Biden administration gives it." To it. So uh, I don't know. I think that the 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 renewable fuels industry seems fairly confident that that whatever they do won't be too onerous for them. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in our next segment. Um, I don't know, with the already concerns over what tax changes may coming, it just seems like uh, the <laughs> the honeymoon period between agriculture and this administration may be coming to an end. There are a lot of uh, big concerns here that are going to need to be addressed, and agriculture is uh, kind of digging in, it looks like, to defend some of these issues. What do you see ahead in a relationship between the administration and, and agriculture? Well, I think it's a fairly typical situation uh, in which agriculture does not want uh, regulations it feels you can't deal with, it doesn't want, step, uh, it doesn't want tax changes, uh, but the administration has already said that they want to exempt farmers, family farmers, from the stepped-up basis change. So I think the important thing is to keep the pressure on that and to try to find a way to write a rule that is 
uh, a regulation um, that that won't be too difficult to comply with. But I would not think again in the, in the end. In the end, I don't think that that uh, that stepped up basis changes will be applied to at least to family farms. We shall see. Again, we're waiting for details. A lot of things. We're waiting on details on here. Well, Jerry, thanks a lot. Appreciate the the uh, coverage there from our nation's capital. Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report reporting from Capitol Hill. All right. Up next, $700 million in COVID relief coming to the biofuels industry. We'll talk about that and more next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, it is one thing to read about and hear about what's going on on our southern border. It's another thing to actually experience it. President of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining, joins us again. Uh, give us an update on the situation, what you are hearing from folks along that border. It's still a crisis. We have many Farm Bureau members and other ag producers along the border, and they're still dealing with the influx of folks coming over here illegally. It's been talked about some already. You're looking at damage to crops and damage to other property, whether it be fences and things like that. So those are the things we're dealing with. Safety's become a very big concern as well because, uh, quite frankly, a lot of these folks are criminals. And the coyotes, the, the human smugglers, are using the fact that there's a surge to really make it easier for them to do their dirty work, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's drug trafficking or things of that nature. So, you know, you're not just dealing with folks that are coming over here looking for asylum. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Quite a bit of biofuels news to go over, and joining us to do that is Troy Bradenkamp, Senior Vice President, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, thanks for joining us. Let's start with the announcement that uh, USDA will be giving $700 million in aid to biofuels producers, part of the COVID aid package. This has been a long time coming. Uh, Your thoughts on that amount, and what do we know about how it can be used? Hey, Mike, thanks for having me this morning. It's certainly welcome news. We have been, as you said, it's been a long time coming. We've been at this since uh, last year. Uh, and as you may recall, in December, we did get some language from uh, Congress that did allow USDA to give us some aid. And it's, it's taken six months, but it looks like it, it's on its way. And, you know, it, it certainly won't make anyone whole uh, from the losses that they suffered during COVID. You know, we still have some plants that are in um, deferred shutdown and, and uh, slow to be at uh, full capacity. But but this will definitely help uh, take the edge off of this thing that, that we all suffered in this industry last year. USDA says it plans to implement the aid in the next 60 days. Do you know, uh, is there are there any... Um, specifics along with the money of how it has to be used or does it have to be used in certain ways, do you know? You know, we haven't seen those details yet. We hope that they will be forthcoming with those soon. Uh, The 60-day timeline is a a good timeline that tells us we're not needing to go through any kind of a formal rulemaking, uh, which is good. I I know that the USDA was, was contemplating that and and was trying to avoid that. So we, we hope this will be a very simple uh, notice of funds availability route. Uh, we have suggested that they keep it very simple, uh, do it on some sort of a uh, per-gallon basis and and kind of treat everyone equitable. So we'll just have to see what those details are as they develop and as they're released. You mentioned that uh, some plants are still offline or operating at reduced uh, rates. Uh, kind of give us uh, uh, an overview of where the industry's at now coming out of out of the pandemic. Uh, uh, how close are we to where we were before the pandemic hit? Well, I think from a um, uh, from a marketing or even from a demand issue, uh, things are actually looking really good from a pre-pandemic uh, perspective. So, so we are at. Um, uh, uh, a pretty good in terms of uh, retail demand. Um, we, we had some stores built up, so we definitely had uh, inventory, and, and we're looking through that inventory, and, and then folks are, are coming back online. Um, you know, high corn prices are certainly making it a challenge, uh, but also we've got a pretty good, a pretty favorable price uh, for uh, wholesale ethanol right now. So. Things are working. Those producers out there just have to, you know, put a pencil to it and uh, make sure that it's right for them and and at what rate they need to run to make all those numbers work for them. 
We're talking with Troy Bradenkamp, Senior Vice President, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, Troy, what do you make of these rumors that the Biden administration is looking to give some sort of relief to some refiners, oil refiners from the RFS? Um, I think what really kind of gets people's attention is the fact that uh, we're talking about in the state of Delaware, where President Biden's from, uh, maybe gives it even more credence. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? What are you hearing? Is, is do, you, do we have any details on this yet? Well, we don't have details, Mike. What we do have is a lot of those rumors floating around this town. Um, just know that, that we're working hard. Uh, the biofuels uh, sector is working hard. And frankly, a lot of our champions on, on the Hill are working hard to make sure the Biden administration doesn't do anything um, silly here and, and, and give some uh, relief in some fashion to the refineries on an issue that, that we frankly would be in, in total disagreement with them on in terms of uh, those refineries actually needing uh, relief you know for anyone that knows how our program works and how the renewable fuel standard works um the renewable identification number or or that ren uh if you're blending the product <laughs> it's free and so it's only for those that have chosen over 16 years since the program has um has come into existence have chosen not to blend ethanol or biofuels or renewable fuels into their um into their product, those are the ones that are obviously having to go out and, and buy RENs on the open market, and, and those certainly are um, at a pretty substantial price right I don't think any of them need relief. We don't think that they need relief. That is a pass-through cost to the refinery, so we're trying to make that case as strongly as we can to this administration. You know, there's a lot of irony when I look at what's happening right now. You talk about... Um, you talk about the Delaware refineries, perhaps where the president comes from. But I think even more simple than that, um, you know, they are talking about union jobs in Delaware when, when the biofuel sector actually has more union jobs per capita than the refining industry has. And then we talk about what the Biden administration has laid out in terms of a program for all electric vehicles in the next decade or two. Um, those refinery jobs are certainly going to be impacted by that as well. So it's unfortunate that this has been made into the issue that it is. We certainly hope that the Biden administration doesn't do anything silly here. And we're definitely on our toes working with our champions on the, to make sure that they don't. Also strange timing as we're awaiting the Supreme Court ruling on uh, on the waiver issue uh, that EPA has, uh, you know, what has been happening in the past we had the court ruling the 10th circuit court ruling saying that the epa was yep. not granting those correctly now we're waiting for that case uh, the final ruling uh, from uh, uh, from the supreme court uh, i don't this sounds like mixed signals now I, I it's kind of like where's epa on this issue you know are they are are they moving back and forth it, it just seems strange timing on to this well, so thus far uh, in the Biden administration, EPA has actually been really good. Uh, they've, they've been uh, saying all the right things. They've been doing all the right things. You know, they had a um, they had quite a laundry list of issues that they were dealing with uh, from the previous administration, uh, not the least of which was the small refinery exemptions. And all indications to us has been that they will not be issuing those small refinery exemptions 
certainly in any form or fashion compared to the previous administration. As a matter of fact, you mentioned the Supreme Court case. Uh, this EPA has actually done an about-face and, and actually sided with our arguments and came into that Supreme Court oral argument on our side, which was a, a complete 180 uh, in terms of where they were at under the previous ad- administration. So from an EPA perspective, we actually feel really pretty good about about their thoughts on uh, biofuels, on their thoughts on the RFS. This issue, though, to give uh, refineries relief seems to be, um, at, at this point, in our judgment, above the EPA. It's certainly being uh, considered, I think, at the White House level. Um, and uh, obviously the two Democrats, uh, senators from from Delaware are are making their case as, as to why there needs to be some relief. We're making our case as to why there doesn't need to be any relief in this situation. So uh, hopefully this will uh, resolve itself with little to no uh, damage to our, our sector here in the next uh, week or two. That's interesting. So perhaps if it happens, it'd be the from the White House and not through EPA. We'll watch that closely. Well, Real quick. It, it, uh, yep. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, it, it, no, it would go, probably be an action through the EPA, but I'm trying to express that that, that decision may be being made up above the EPA level. It might be coming out of the White House. Okay. Uh, real quick, are you concerned that the administration might set uh, biofuel target levels for 21 and 22 flat or even lower them as we wait for those numbers? Well, so that would be that would be part of the impact and 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 one of the ways potentially that the Biden administration could offer some relief uh, or at least perceived relief uh, to refiners is is to have some kind of an impact on those renewable volume obligations for 21 and 22. Uh, we are certainly going to be advocating, and we have, and we will continue to advocate that those numbers need to be as robust as possible. Um, and for us, primarily, we're going to be focused in on that 15 billion gallon uh, conventional corn ethanol number, which has been there for years now. Uh, we have gone to court over and over again to uh, to fortify that. Um, and if that number was to be impacted with some kind of a change here, we would definitely be thinking about needing to go back to court again. It's unfortunate, but uh, we're going to take it to the to the wow. mat to make sure that, that we're uh, preserving what needs to be preserved from an RFS perspective. We will watch that closely. Thank you, Troy. Troy Bradenkamp with the Renewable Fuels Association joining us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me. I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, 
but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Mixed futures on the Board of Trade today following yesterday's lower futures pressured by incoming weather weather. Domestic ethanol inventories moved off a better than four-year low, climbing to the highest level in four weeks as overall production rose to a better than 14-month high. Domestic ethanol plant production increased 23,000 barrels per day to 1.034 million barrels per day, the highest level since the week ending of March 13, 2020, while a four-week average output rate was at 1.014 million barrels per day. Corn futures on the Board of Trade are trading higher. The July contract up 19 cents at 6.86 and a half cent. The September contract up 10 and a half cent at 6.02 and a fraction. For soybeans, the July contract up two and a fraction at 14.68. The August contract down a fraction at 14.25 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat July up six and a half cent at 6.68 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat July up six cents at 6.18 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July up 14 and a half cent at 762 and a fraction the September contract up 14 and a fraction at 769 and a half cent cattle futures extended their gains Tuesday aided by continued short covering today in cash cattle country packer inquiry is limited this morning so far no bids have been renewed following yesterday's light to moderate business northern dress deals were at 193 dollars to 195 southern live deals were at 120 dollars to 122 dollars on the board of trade August live cattle trading 95 cents higher at 124.85 October up 90 at 129.52 feeder cattle the August contract up 47 at 157.30 September up 12 cents at 158.77 in lean hogs the July contract down three dollars at 115.50 the August contract down three dollars at 111.70 you're listening to AOA I'm Kirsten Rall wake up and text Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, good to talk with you again and all eyes on weather forecasts right now, right? Yeah, are you having fun yet? Uh, I know it's certainly not fun for the farmers or for the end users, either one. 
But these are the big price swings that we expected uh, earlier this year with a lot of money in the system and uh, expanded position limits. And most of that money is driven by computers that are programmed to respond to market signals. And they tend to use a lot of this very similar programming. So once things tilt one way, we get the big swings in one direction. They tilt the other way, we get the big swings in the other direction. And for today, for the most part, it's supported, partly because we've fallen so far, uh, but also because we also see some increased risks with this weather forecast for a, a significant weather change here in the days ahead. So sometimes you get into these and we've realized that weather's impacting the markets, but I think sometimes farmers think, what weather forecasts are the traders looking at? Because you look at your farm and your your conditions, and you say, wow, uh, there must be seeing rain somewhere that they're not, right? Because it's dry where they are. So we're into that kind of a situation. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let's keep in mind that a lot of people involved in today's markets uh, the speculative crowd, shall we say. A lot of them don't even know what a corn plant looks like, let alone how it grows, what it takes to grow. Uh, they understand what it looks like outside their window, but they may be anywhere in the world. And so they're leaning heavily on their various sources. And even those sources of the weather have varied quite a bit. Just take this morning, for example, the, the uh, European ensembles uh, were very wet in their outlook. And some of the other models, particularly that was the American, excuse me, the American GFS was, the European model was drying out, showing a lot more drier risk. So you have very conflicting views of the markets by the various models. Now, the models have their strengths and weaknesses, and they look at it differently. Uh, and as Eric Snodgrass mentioned to me this morning, he said, look, we've had so much moisture in the atmosphere. It's, it's laden with moisture. It's thick with moisture. That's been the case for several weeks, and we've lacked the triggering mechanism about the only triggering mechanisms we've had really to let, to release that water in the atmosphere has been these little disturbances that kind of come through the atmosphere and give you uh, cluster storms that uh, kind of move across in the direction of the upper-level winds. And if you're under one of them, you get heavy rains. But if you're a few miles away, you may get nothing. And we're probably going to have an increased uh, frequency of those in the days ahead. Um, particularly areas in the eastern Midwest may see more general rains. The further west you get, the more sparse they may become. Unfortunately, that means the plains are probably left with the least amount of coverage of rain. Uh, and, and then as you slowly go east, get more. But this is also a year when we need kind of all hands on deck. We need all areas to produce well. And confidence is starting to wane whether we're going to get that. We have a tropical storm developing in the Gulf of Mexico that may pinch off some of that moisture and uh, leave us with less rain than what we'd like to see over the western growing areas. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stonex. Arlen, let's talk the general economy. Uh, we have we have a lot of issues here right now. We talk about coming out of this pandemic, but what we have. Uh, a lot of places can't get people to work. Um, we've got a lot of money still flowing out of Washington, D.C. At some point, that has to slow down or even stop in some cases. We have ports that are backed up, uh, products that aren't moving. I mean, a lot of a lot of issues for the economy to deal with as we move forward. 
We really do. And looking at it from an economist standpoint, uh, I see a lot of problems ahead, and some of it will have implications for the money flow into the commodities, and that specifically is it's tied to inflation. Now, the Fed is meeting to, yesterday and today, and will come out with their updated monetary policy statement uh, this afternoon. And I anticipate that it will say that they're starting to talk about when they might start tapering. And the next step will be at future meetings. They'll say, okay, we started to develop a plan for tapering. And then later meetings, okay, we've got the plan developed and we're going to start it at such and such a time. They're very worried about how the market may react. And so, therefore, they're kind of leading from behind on all this. Inflation is certainly there. And we saw that in some of the data that came out this morning showing not only do we have inflation at home, but we're, in, we're importing a lot of inflation. We import a lot of goods from, um, from China. And uh, their recent report showed that last month their producer price index or inflation at the wholesale or manufacturing level was over 90%. A lot of that's goods that they're shipping to the United States and Europe. We're also exporting a lot of inflation. The Fed has basically said that inflation is transitory, which is kind of a bad way of saying temporary. Uh, they just see it as the supply pipeline issues that uh, got backed up during the pandemic. And some of that is certainly happening, as you mentioned, kind of the congestion at the ports and stuff. But it goes much more deeper. It's much more systemic than that, I believe. And uh, if that continues to be the case, commodities are one of the best hedges against inflation in the eyes of invest in the investment funds. And so that would suggest that they'll likely keep a lot of money coming into the commodity sector for some time. doesn't mean it's always going to be a nice, smooth ride up, um, but it does suggest that maybe we'll be trading at a more elevated level than what we would otherwise. We've got fuel prices up, food prices up. We know lumber prices are way up. Uh, where do you see this heading? Well, I think we're probably going to be looking at inflation for quite some time. Now, those who think it's temporary, there's some well-respected economists who think that, you'll be in good company. But I, I think the signals are there that as long as Congress continues to spend as they are and as long as the Federal Reserve continues to back up con congressional spending by printing money in order to buy the debt, um, that Congress is creating, we're going to continue to be pumping, you know, kind of hyper-supplying this economy with money, and that money gets spent. When we look at uh, M2 money supply up about $4.3 trillion during the pandemic, I don't see that money leaving the economy anytime soon. The Fed is currently printing about $120 billion per month to inject into the economy. So well, that's uh, almost $2.5 trillion per year that they're injecting into the economy. That's unprecedented in its nature, and that has consequences. Yeah, a lot, a lot there that has uh, some far-reaching impacts. We'll be talking more about that. Meanwhile, we're two weeks away from the, uh, the Acres report. What are you expecting to see from USDA? Well, I think that I'm thinking like everyone else is thinking, both corn and soybean acres will go up. The question is how much. We've got uh, IHS market, who is the former Informa. It's up there at around 96.5 million acres of corn. I just don't see that in the data. I think we'll be closer to 93 million acres of corn. I think the trade has already priced that expectation in. 
Um, soybeans, probably a bigger question right there. I think most people in the trade are expecting maybe we add a million and a half to maybe two million acres of soybeans. I'm thinking that we're going to push north of 90 million, maybe as much as 90 and a half million, but how high we go is going to depend when we can get this wheat crop harvested in the southern Midwest and the central plains and then how much double cropping we can do. Um, these are all going to be lower yielding fields that go in these latter, latter fields that go in as the double cropping, particularly in the weather pattern that we're in. Nonetheless, it'll be considered as acreage. I think it'll be closer to 90 and a half million acres as we're now starting to harvest into southern Kansas. That gives plenty of time to get those soybeans planted. Um, but we'll see. I think, I think that a number like that really wouldn't be that surprising to the market and not that difficult to absorb. Numbers higher than that, though, are probably seen as bearish initially. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Do you see this as a market-moving report coming up or pretty much figured in? I get, you know, it depends on how high or low they go with that acres number, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It may be market-moving. I think it has to be higher than my estimates, really, to be market-moving, but I think everyone's watching the acreage this time around, forgetting that USDA's quarterly stocks reports on the, on the same date have more of the history of been market moving and sometimes creating daily limit moves. Um, so I think they're taking their eye off the ball of what the stocks report might show, and, and that's something we need to keep an eye on. But in the end, it's still going to come down to weather. That's still going to be the big thing that really impacts us here with the short corn crop in Brazil that's likely to get quite a bit shorter and what USDA currently has it. It's absolutely essential that we have a big crop here in the United States. And that'll quickly become the focus as we move into July again. Yeah, I mean, the forecasts show a little uh, uh, relief maybe towards uh, the weekend, but uh, these uh, weekly crop ratings numbers were already starting to reflect uh, some of these hot, dry conditions. Yeah, they really are. We've seen quite a drop in the ratings. Uh, the market seemed to not care about that. I think that's because it's June. The ratings themselves aren't that low overall, but what's concerning is the speed at which they're falling. I think the expectation is that they'll fall some more this coming Monday, but then the rains will fall over the next week, and we'll see a bounce back in those ratings. The trade may be disappointed in that response, one thing for sure is dry subsoils are across much of the Midwest this year. We're going to have to have a very wet July and August in order to produce good crops. All right, Arlen, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. Up next, Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We'll go over the latest ag equipment sales numbers here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. 
here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Step right up, then gaze upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest soil Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jen Sorensen, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, let's talk about the line speed issue. Capacity has been a huge issue facing the industry anyway. Of course, on the other side, there are people talking about, well, what about safety and health concerns for workers and packing plants? So how do you address that and still keep line speeds up? Nobody is more 
cognizant of safety in our farms and on the plants than producers. This is not a worker safety issue. There is no data that suggests that these plants operating under the faster line speeds had increased worker safety issues. In fact, the, the data suggests that quite the opposite. So, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue. We need to get this fixed. We need a solution here and we need to keep our capacity. And ultimately, we need to all come to the table with USDA, with our labor unions and others to find to find a solution that works for all of us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we check in with Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, to get the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Kurt, they've been going up, but uh, are the latest numbers down a little bit? Well, the latest numbers are down a little bit, but in perspective, uh, it's still pretty positive for the year. So, uh, uh, you know, in the month of May, we saw uh, an increase in 100-plus horsepower tractors. We saw an increase in 40 to 100 horsepower tractors, an increase in articulated four-wheel drives and combines. But there was a, about a you know, 9% dec- decrease in those smaller tractors, kind of leading to an overall uh, lower number for the month. But boy, when you look year to date, we're still looking pretty good. So you still feel good about uh, this year overall, then? Absolutely, absolutely. Year to date, we are uh, we're about twenty six percent above where we were this time last year uh, in the United States. And this time last year was actually pretty pretty solid uh, numbers for equipment sales. So overall, we're looking pretty good. Uh, you know, as we you know, when you look at the graphs, you look at the total numbers. You know, with that with that decline of those under forty horsepower tractors, you know, it's a nine percent nine percent decline uh, year you know year over year. Uh, but that was on top of a record number of those numbers this time last year. And that represents a whole lot of tractors. So that's why that's why the numbers look the way they do. But I'll tell you what, I love looking at those hundred plus horsepower tractors, seeing an increase of about twenty eight percent, and those articulated four wheel drives, seeing uh, an increase about sixty two percent. That's an additional one hundred units sold in the month of May. Because for so long, we've seen the growth, the strength in the smaller tractors. Now we're starting to finally see some strength in the, in the, in the larger tractors, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, those small tractors, again, we, we often say that's not necessarily a farm tractor. I mean, it's certainly some of them are going to be used on farms, but a whole lot of those are purchased by folks that are uh, buying for their property or buying uh, to you know, to to do chores around their around their household, uh, but those you know those uh, farm tractors, 40 and above, and 100 and above, and articulated four-wheel drive. Boy, I love to see the strength in that because that's a pretty good indication of where farm economy is going, and certainly where attitudes of farmers are about uh, the optimism towards the future of what their businesses are going to look like for the next few years. Kurt, I want to talk about the industry overall, big picture, because seems like everywhere we turn in this economy today, we're running into, there are labor issues, there are uh, supply issues, uh, transportation issues, just moving thing, moving products around, if you can get the products or not. Uh, so where, where is, where's the equipment 
uh, industry as far as uh, if a farmer wants to buy a tractor or a piece of equipment, is being able to get that? Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair question, Mike. And just like, as you say, the equipment market is, is part of the balance of the economy and everything is on short supply, whether it's cars or pinball machines or cell phones or whatever it might be. Everything is, is, is feeling the pressure of the supply chain. Uh, in, in ag equipment specifically, you mentioned a couple of things, transportation, labor, you know, semiconductors, and steel, all four of those things are required to get equipment to, uh, to, to farmers' hands. And all four of those things are under some pretty, pretty significant pressures right now. I think what, uh, what we're finding out there is that uh, you know, dealers are working pretty closely with, with farmers to, to, to manage, manage through the, the, you know, the, this supply chain tightness right now, but also looking to the future and say, hey, if you, you're planning ahead, if you're looking to buy a new combine, you're looking to buy a new tractor, We've got to plan ahead now. We've got to start putting things on the order books now uh, just so we can, so we can plan ahead. Uh, it's it, piece number one to that. And then piece number two to that is, is, uh, you know, is you know, we're not just talking about new and used, but also about, about parts and parts availability. Because the last thing we want to do is have a part shortage out there uh, that, that causes crops not going to ground. So I think the manufacturers and the dealers work really closely to Number one, let's ensure we get that crop in the ground or get the tillage done that needs to be done or get the crop crop harvested. Let's focus on that first. And then, you know, these supply chain issues that are affecting the entire industry, including ag, ag equipment, I mean, it's, it's just going to take a little bit of time for it to work itself out. Uh, you know, we, our system was dealt a pretty big shock over the last 12 months, and uh, uh, we're just slowly but surely working our way out of, of some of those backlogs and, and logistical issues. Is the used equipment market still strong? It's it's strong across the board. And I mean, you know, because the the inventories are so tight on the new side, that obviously translates quite nicely on the on the used side as well. As you as you well know, leaders, uh, your listeners well know that uh, you know part of the value of of owning a tractor is because it does have a nice residual value. So when those used markets are strong uh, that that you know, creates additional incentives for you to want to it up to, to upgrade your equipment because you know that used stuff has got some value for you to, to to roll it roll it through your system a little bit. So we love to see a strong used market as well as a strong uh, strong new market. It just it's part of that overall picture that that creates the uh, ag equipment. So we're seeing you know we're seeing some some you know, a few things showing up on dealers lots here and there, but it's pretty tight across the board. Is uh, Canada still improving, or have, has their uh, market slowed a bit? Well, Canada's you know, Canada's interesting. They, it looks really close to the United States. It kind of, you know, in general, always looks a little, little similar to the United States. Uh, Canada is still showing signs of life across the board. In fact, uh, small horsepower tractors were up twenty percent in the month of May in Canada. So we're we're thrilled to see that. I and mean, if you talk about a strengthening market, that market in Canada for under 40, under 40 horsepower tractors, it's 57% for the year. Holy buckets, that's a lot of tractors. We love to see that. And, you know, that's good news because Canada's, you know, Canada agriculture has been a little bit tough for the last last few years. So love to see the signs of life up there. Love to see equipment being sold. That's uh, a pretty good indication of farmers feeling good about what the future holds for them up there. Yep. We'll talk again next month. Thanks, Kurt. You bet. Thanks, Mike. 
Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk about the, the port situation, the backup, and how it's impacting agriculture. We'll get more on the weather patterns as we uh, move more into summer, and we'll talk more on the markets as well. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.